All right, folks, if this is a long episode, I blame Amy 100% because she just said, well, since this is part two of a two-parter, this is probably going to be a shorter episode. But we know from experience now, 150 episodes in, that that is the kiss of death for us. The moment we say, oh, it's going to be a shorty, it turns into like a two-hour conversation. So let's find out. And let's see if we need to blame Amy at the end of this. Hello, Amy. It has been... 10 minutes in our time, a week in their time. Um, I was sharing with you that I like frantically came up here and was all frazzled because when I went down to fill my water bottle between episodes, I had the biggest box of probiotics ever on my front porch, which was like Christmas came early, but I had to like quickly, unbra- I was I was like clogged through the box like a raccoon. Like you were wolverining the box. Yeah, I, I was like a raccoon, just frantically get because it was all packing material and mm. ice packs sandwiched together and the bottles. Some of them are glass bottles, and I'm just like clawing at it. So Mike will go downstairs a little bit later and he's gonna find this giant pile of like chaotic brown paper on mm. the floor in the middle of of the area in front of the, the supplement fridge. But I had to get them in the fridge. Like, you can't just leave probiotics out in the North Carolina heat. Yeah. And those are those are going to my FODMAP Freedom students. I got to baggy those ba- bad boys up and send them off for the probiotic speed dating soon. But I just kind of chuckled because I was like, ah, ah. I told Amy five-minute pee break. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. We are back. So do you want to give – I'm going to challenge you. Do you want to give the two-minute summary of our last episode? Two-minute summary. Holy cow. So last episode, <laughs> last episode, we talked about how carbs and sugar are not the enemy and insulin is not, insulin is not the enemy. Um, and when there is some dysfunction, when there is some chaos in the cells that are leading to insulin resistance. It might be a totally normal biological response to some of the chaos going on in the cells. So I think we talked about how, you know, you need to regulate maybe some inflammation and support the cells with proper nutrition, um, making sure not to eat too much and eating um, a wide variety of nutrition is really key. Um, And then again, we talked a little bit about chemicals and how they can definitely drive some inflammation. Um, So yeah, we talked a a bit about that. I I feel like a good expansion from where we were in this episode would be to talk about maybe who might need to pay a little bit more attention to this and who might not really need to pay attention to this at all. I think a lot of people that are worried about insulin, don't really need to be paying attention to it. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, So we should probably talk a little bit about that and then dive into some maybe practical solutions if it is something that someone needs to worry a little bit about versus not. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know if you have other directions you want to go in. I know you had some other things that you wanted to share last time. Yes. Just just like if you would indulge me just a little bit more, maybe 10, 20 minutes on more of the science theorizing nerdiness. Mm. And then we can, I think that those are a great way to kind of bring this bad boy home. Um, So, so just one to share. Um, One will be kind of a quickie. I think and the other one might be more of something we dissect a bit. So first off, again, and like Brian Walsh, I know, talks about this. I'm sure other sources probably do too. But uh, having high blood sugar is not intrinsically the worst thing, actually. You could have high blood sugar that's always high, and it's kind of floating around up here. And that is not nearly as inflammatory as huge swings where you go from normal to, to high to low to high mm-hmm. to low, that's actually associated with much poorer outcomes and higher mortality risk mm. versus the person who's just always high. So that's food for thought too. And, and that segues into my next point, which is 
I think that we just look at insulin part, part of this problem that we've laid out beautifully, I think, is we look at insulin as this single solitary thing, right? Like, oh, insulin is secreted, or it's not secreted, bada bing, bada boom, that's all you need to know. But nay, my friends, nay, there's more complexity to that. Are you at all familiar, Amy, with the idea of the first phase insulin response? I'm not sure. Does this have anything to do with, I remember, so when I was dealing with my blood sugar weirdness, I almost felt like I had a delayed response. Is this similar to that? So where maybe, maybe I would get a blood sugar spike. So, you know, it would spike up to 160 or, or something like that from maybe 80. So a big spike. And then I would go back to normal, but I would almost overshoot it. I'd go mm. more, from my standpoint, more hypoglycemic. Anything under 80, I don't feel super great. Mm-hmm. If I start dipping into the 70s, I feel some hypoglycemic symptoms where some people might feel fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so- that's just like your set point or your tolerance point. Yeah, but I know I had a bit of that, and I chalked it up. I had outright low T3 levels at the time, probably from being low carb, um, because my insulin was low. Uh, So I had low T3 levels, and I knew I was reading somewhere back then that hypothyroidism can delay the insulin response. So I had hypothesized that that was at play, but I didn't go super into the research on 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 that. So yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. Well, and, and again, like, honestly, I've been around the functional medicine circuit for a lot of years. I think I took my first functional medicine seminar in 2010. So and I'm a little seminar addict, like I, I like to think I've been keeping up with this stuff. And I think the first time I ever heard of the first phase insulin response was that 2019 Brian Walsh seminar that I attended. Mm. And nobody else is talking about it, I feel like except for Mm. him. But it's really interesting when you get into it. So basically, you could think of it this way. The first phase insulin response is kind of more like anticipatory in nature versus calibrated based on your blood sugar. So what happens is, and it's it's been four years since I really examined this closely. So forgive me, like if somebody knows a lot about this topic, and they're like, that's incorrect. I'm doing the best I can just write some nice notes in the YouTube comment section to correct me. Uh, But uh, but basically, my recollection of this topic is that when you first start preparing to eat, maybe even before the first bite goes in your mouth, your pancreas is already starting to secrete insulin in anticipation of that meal. And that first phase insulin response is really important for preventing huge blood sugar swings, right? It's like it, it, look at it this way, your blood sugar never gets a chance to go crazy loco because you already have some insulin waiting for it before mm-hmm. the blood sugar even gets to your blood. So you have this first phase insulin response, which is really, really important, but it can be either blunted in the case of insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, or it can be over-exaggerated. And that seems to be part of the deal with hypoglycemia, is that that first phase insulin response might actually be a little bit too efficient or a little bit too exaggerated for some people. But again, it's, it's your body anticipating what you need and trying to match that ahead of time. And that makes me think of conversations we've had in the past, you know, recently with Jessica Brown, the idea of interoception and, and like perceiving your body signals and your body cues and how that ties in with satiety and hunger. It even makes me think back to other conversations where we've talked about maybe in the digestion north to south episodes where we talked about eating at regular times is important because that allows your body to anticipate, oh, she's going to eat lunch at 1230. So I need to make HCL and enzymes starting at 1223. 
right? Like your body is trying desperately to anticipate your needs. But if you're erratic and all over the place, it's really freaking hard to do that. So to me, it kind of folds in nicely with a lot of stuff that we've seen before, which is your body is trying to anticipate your needs. And when it when it has a hard time anticipating that because you your behavior and your lifestyle and your nutrition are so erratic and all over the place. Can we really blame the machinery for doing a lousy job when we are not giving it the information and the regularity that it needs? I don't think so. But what's interesting too, you you get into the wide world of GLP one kind of stuff. Mm which is not an area that I'm an expert in, but you start getting into GLP-1 and its involvement in the first phase insulin response. And then you start getting into things like, oh, chewing your food thoroughly stimulates GLP-1 and helps with the first phase insulin response. Interesting stuff. So I don't know. I, I just think... I guess my point is that we can't just talk about insulin as one entity and one kind of thing. It's you have this initial surge in insulin secretion, hopefully ahead of your meal. Then as the blood sugar starts to go up, now the pancreas is going to release more insulin to kind of match where the blood sugar is. But those are two physiological kind of distinct things. And there's actually quite a lot of research on things that can help enhance the first phase insulin response, but a lot of them kind of trace back to the idea of mindful eating and mm. just keeping a regular time schedule. So chef's comments, kiss. commentary. Yeah, discussion, no, et cetera. It's, it's really interesting because it's funny to see these core things that we see helping people and theoretically make sense have some science behind them. It, it it always makes me think of, I don't know if it was the Mayans, um, or maybe it's the Aztecs, I can't remember, but one of them had a like a crazy library of resources that was destroyed. Um, like, I don't remember exactly what happened, but, or just, I don't know if that's a bad example or not, but just how much information that they can gather from observation that then gets proven by science later, you know, hundreds of years later. Um, Another story about that is, I don't know what Indian tribe would do this, but they would extract actual adrenal glands from animals when they would see vitamin C deficiencies in someone in their tribe and they'd find this little tiny gland in the middle of the deer, like, or whatever animal that they were, uh, whatever animal they were, um, I don't know, butchering. I don't know. Consuming. Consuming. Um, but they would take this little tiny adrenal gland and have the person eat it (laughs) to help restore vitamin C levels. It's that kind of stuff is crazy to me because it's all this just tribal knowledge well, that they've learned through observation that it fixes the issue, but it takes us yeah. years to really understand it. And we're, it's just wild. Well, and that begs the question, do we need to understand it if we know it works? Right. Maybe right. not. Like, I mean, acupuncture and oriental medicine is a great example of this. Mm-hmm. Chinese medicine, like TCM practitioners have known for thousands of years that certain herbs work for certain conditions and certain symptoms. Did we need the scientific proof? Maybe not. I mean, and, and you know, maybe it's splitting hairs. Are we going to say that astragalus is treating spleen chi deficiency? Or are we going to say it's an immune tonic? Like, does it really matter? It's still mm. going to help the same people. But, you know, Michael Pollan talks about this too. And this is one of many reasons why I like his stuff. But uh, he kind of went back to the basics, so to speak, of like, well, what would your grandmother say? What would your great grandmother say? Yeah. Which foods would your great grandma recognize? And which would she be deeply confused by? And like, and that's, that was kind of the genesis of him writing his book, Food Rules. It's a little, you know, pocket size, little book, 45 minute read. But he crowdsourced nutrition Mm -hmm rules. And he put it out on the New York Times, he got 1000s of responses, and he whittled it down to like 40 or 50. But, you know, it's, 
it's this idea that we had this, this um, cultural wisdom that was passed down the old fashioned way from family member to family member, generation to generation. Like my grandma, easy example, my grandma always told us don't eat sugar and don't eat dairy when you're phlegmy because they will make the phlegm worse. Grandma always also said drink orange juice or red wine after you donate blood. Like, I don't know about you, but if I overconsume dairy or sugar, I do think it makes me phlegmy. I find that I'm clearing my throat more. Well, grandma knew all along and she was born in 1924. Like she had no scientific journal, no meta-analysis to teach her that. That was Mm. just years of observation and wisdom that was passed down over the generations. So this is really not that much different, honestly. Well, and, and I think when you're talking about practical solutions for insulin resistance, all of it really comes down to basic stuff. You know, it comes down to unsexy basics. We talk about it every episode. Right. It's like eating a, a wide variety of nutrition, um, not being overly restrictive, being di- eating diverse, um, eating at regular intervals. throughout you know every single day you can't have this one makes me cry right now but you can't have a totally different schedule on the weekends and then think that your body's okay with that yeah and again i think uh phytonutrients um things like polyphenols i think can be really beneficial they upregulate things like glutathione they help with um more of the pro-oxidant problem if there is a pro-oxidant problem that's driving some of uh, any insulin problem. Um, having more polyphenols, which you can get from fruits and vegetables in the diet, just eat more fruits and vegetables. Um, again, that might be more of the science behind it, but just eat fruits and vegetables and that should take care of that. Um, I could summarize it even more easily than what you're getting into. I think you're doing a beautiful job for the record, but um, again, to harken back to one of my first science crushes or science boyfriends, as I sometimes call them, uh, Michael Pollan, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Yep. That's all it needs to be, people. That's all it needs to be. You don't yep. need some fancy, sexy new diet from a blog post or a, a whatever. Like you don't need something sexy and fancy, probably. It's just eat in a way that a healthy human would eat. Mm. And, and that encompasses, you know, eat nutritionally dense whole foods most of the time. But then, you know, 10% of the time, eat the brownie, eat the cupcake, eat the whatever, and just live your damn life because life is too short. For the record, I wore a special t shirt for this episode, I'm going to lower my desk, I'm going to mute myself and lower my desk and Amy can read you my t shirt. This was special for the episode because I knew we were talking about sugar. Right, here we go. She's lowering it. I'm going to wait till it's completely, completely low. It's going. Okay. It says, we'll give nutrition advice for chocolate. <laughs> Woohoo! Your desk is still going down, man. <laughs> I think it's going to go into the floor. It's just going to go to the floor. I'm going to be <laughs> sitting, uh, sitting cross-legged on the floor here. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it honestly, though, that is part of my overarching nutrition philosophy is life is short. If 2020 taught us nothing, could it not be that life is short, and we need to enjoy it? Like, yeah, I yeah, mean, it I, taught us a lot of other things, too. But right. I feel like that's the most important takeaway lesson. And then that makes me want to live my life and eat the chocolate or eat the brownie every now and then. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that that's the the key thing about nutrition in general is that you need to meet your needs. But once you kind of have met your needs, a little bit of sugar is not going to do anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you have the the vitamins and minerals um, on board, to your machinery, it. yeah, your machinery should be able to to tolerate some sugar. Yeah. Now, again, if you're overdoing it on the sugar, that could be problematic too. And there could very well be some people that might need to cut back on added sugar or junk food or things like that. So they're not listening to our podcast, though. That's true. Usually most of the people listening to our podcast might need to relax and eat some of the cookies and like go eat a Dorito guys, right? (laughs) Just do it. But honestly, though, like that is a really important thing to note, because Mm -hmm. 
we hang out in a very specific world, right? We hang out with very particular people who are struggling with certain things and they have certain behaviors and histories. And we've, between the two of us, we probably have worked with thousands of people with IBS and SIBO. And, you know, we know the high incidence of disordered eating and Mm. like dieting history. We know the tendency to demonize foods and like carbs are evil. Yeah. But I'm telling you, when you kind of unglue yourself from this world and go hang out with normal people, it is weird. It's like whiplash. And I've mentioned this before. When we go to visit family in Buffalo every summer, I love it. I love Buffalo. I love my family. I have the best in-law family ever. However, they are standard American people. Yeah. They smoke cigarettes. They drink soda. They eat crap loads of sugar all yeah. that, like I'm talking like donuts and candy and ice cream all in the same day every single day right so right so yeah you know it's it though honestly I I could have a private conversation with much of my my husband's side of the family about the benefit of reducing sugar and why it's maybe not so good especially with some family members having type 2 diabetes but right for the people listening to us right now, the people who found us on the internet or found us, you know, through the podcasting app or the YouTube app or whatever, you probably don't need to worry about sugar nearly as much as you think you do. Yeah. As long as you eat food, not too much, mostly plants and try to eat balanced meals with all your damn macros yeah. and some fiber at every single meal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Three I, square I, meals, people. Yeah, for sure. I it It's interesting too, because... I mean, I don't know if it would be helpful to to put it in a context because I think some people w- could probably eat more sugar depending on what's going on. Some people might, again, need a little less. There is probably some nuance to this depending on how you tolerate them, um, depending on uh, your overall nutrition as a whole. Like people that might need less calories probably can't eat quite as much uh, sugar. Um, or again, if you're dieting and your, your nutrition is a bit like if you're going on a diet and there's, you're cutting some nutrition out, which is important for losing weight, you have to cut calories out. Um, you have less calories to get the nutrients that you need. So having more sugar could be more problematic in those situations than someone that needs an absurd amount of calories like a marathon runner or something, or in my case, when I was breastfeeding, it's like so hard to get as many calories as I need. Um, So that's something to consider too. That doesn't mean like people that are dieting can't have cookies or brownies or whatever it is that name the treat of choice that might be sugar, but you might need to be more careful about the amount or how often the frequency that you're doing it just so that you don't lose nutrition. In that's, the process. that's a really good point. Um, and I know this came up with um, a, a client that he was doing FODMAP freedom with me at the same time he was working with you, too. And mm-hmm. and one of the things that you had pointed out to him early on is like, dude, you're a tall, pretty muscular dude, you need like 3000 calories and, and that boggled his mind. And then I'm, yeah. I'm over in FODMAP freedom really emphasizing the diversity and the fiber, too. And he's killing it now. He's doing really well. But I remember he and I talked about this and you and I talked about this around the same time frame. If you are eating 3000 calories a day, you will find it much easier to get all of your vitamins and minerals. Mm -hmm. Just because you have that many more calories, you have that much more volume of food that Mm -hmm. could be supplying you with vitamins and minerals. And we I had commented at the time, it is kind of weird when you think about it that we don't have adjusted numbers for vitamins and minerals based on physical activity or caloric intake, you Mm. would think so basically, like your theoretical need for vitamin C is the same, no matter if you're a couch potato, or if you're running a marathon, or if you're eating 5000 calories a day, that doesn't make sense to me. But that's like kind of the textbook knowledge Mm -hmm. as of right now, like that's how like chronometer doesn't update that shit. When you start telling it you're doing a couch to 5k, you might generally need more, more vitamins and minerals than what your app is even showing you. But 
but you know, it's you're gonna find it easier to meet that minimum requirement if you're consuming more food. And uh, you can consume more food if you're more physically active, or if you just have like a really tall, muscular build. But yeah, if you're if you're eating a lower number of calories, you might really need to emphasize the nutritional density just to scrape by and meet your minimum requirements. Yeah. And I, and I, in our particular clientele too, especially with women in particular, I mean, I definitely would see it in men too, but some women, and I just think because we're trained, if you are focused on wellness, you're trained to eat the cute salads, the cute smoothies, the you're not really trained to fuel properly, if that makes sense. I, I think across the board, women really aren't trained to fuel properly, where men get a different message of, oh, if I have a big workout, I need to, you know, fuel up. You know, there's a totally different mentality around eating for women that I've seen. And so either super active women, well, I think women in general need less calories. So you sometimes have less, less, um, calories to work with to get your micronutrients. Um, and if someone is, if a woman is dieting in particular, um, especially if they're dieting to an extreme, that could be really problematic, um, for metabolic reasons too, where it starts to slow your metabolism down. Um, but don't worry because women don't go on diets. We know that. Right. (laughs) I mean, this is just a stupid point, you know, Obviously, like very common, especially in women. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just going to comment. I'm so glad that I am not a petite human being. First of all, like yeah. I'm six feet tall, and I've always been like a buck ninety, buck eighty five. When I was at the height of my physical fitness as a rower, I was 185 pounds, but I was mm. I was more muscular. Now I'm probably sitting more like 190, and six feet tall. Like again, just not a petite person. And I'm so glad that I'm just, I have my build and B that I got into rowing specifically because I happen to be around women who like pride, prided themselves on being able to carbo load. Right. And like, I was just telling Mike last night, actually, I was saying, uh, so we're getting ready to have our daughter's birthday party, like for the friends, we did the family beach trip, right? But we're doing uh, birthday party with like her classmates and stuff. So we rented um, like a little gazebo at the park and we're going to just have like pizza and cake and a pinata and normal kid party yeah. stuff. And we were debating how many pizzas to order for the gluten folk. And I was joking with him. I was like, well, from my personal experience, I can tell you that a sheet pizza feeds two people. And he was <laughs> like, what? And I'm like, I had to remind him that when I was a rower, and ravenous always my best friend uh from the team and i Paige. shout out to Paige. Paige and i ate an entire sheet pizza in one evening together yeah and it was a little bit of a struggle but we pulled it off and we were so proud of ourselves for eating that and my husband just kind of blinked at me again he was like you know that's not normal for women right and i'm like yeah. Yeah. But I think I I told him something to the effect of like, I'm not a normal chick. That's why you married me, darling. (laughs) I just kind of like walked out of the room. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm glad that somehow I skirted around this common womanly issue of of diet culture. I just I well, I do think there probably are some um, sporting sports that are more prone to being like, oh, you actually really need to pay. Like, I remember with cross country, we would have spaghetti dinners preceding each race, like the Friday night spaghetti dinners, and it would rotate depending on each, it would rotate different people based on each week or whatever. But, um, for the record, carbo loading doesn't work. This Like, that's what we would do too. Right. The night before the race, our coaches would, it does not work. Yeah, they would tell us, oh, make sure you go. And we would go to the Olive Garden and we would just destroy the Olive Garden. We would right. eat all of their food. and Endless breadsticks. and Exactly. Exactly. You go for the breadsticks. And now, you know, then I later got into exercise physiology and got a degree in that. And now I laugh because I'm like, oh, now that I've researched carbo loading and how it actually works, A, it's not very efficient. You might as well not do it. And B, 
there, you would have to do it a very specific way that literally nobody's doing. Right. So, right. <laughs> you <sighs> can eat the pasta because you enjoy it. Right. And because it's delicious. Right. But like, all, but it makes me wonder too, like, is it good to just slam like an insane amount of pasta and then run a race immediately the next morning? Well, I feel like I no. always got nervous poops, but was it just because I slammed spaghetti and pasta <laughs> and brownies the night before? Or was One it way because... to find out. Let's get your running again, and then you could oh, do an A-B split test here. No, you, thank you. For Ugh. one of the races, you do the pasta. For the other race, you do no pasta, and you repeat it a few times. Come on, Amy, you're a scientist. Oh, my gosh. Um, no, the way you, you know the way you actually carbo-load, guys? I, I'm just, again, I have a bachelor's degree in exercise science. I can tell you this. This is medical fact. So what you do is immediately before the race, like I'm talking five minutes before the starting whistle goes off, you have to get a very large bowl of fettuccine Alfredo and hmm. you eat that. And that's what you do. And then you immediately start the race again. Do you know what that's yeah. from? Please tell me you know what that's from. No, I don't. Armand is going to be ashamed of you. He's going to disown. Oh you. no, no, no! It's from it's from the office. Thank you. Yeah, I, I yes. Now. The Michael. I should have worn my T-shirt. The, the, the Michael Scott Fun Run. Te, uh, <laughs> Meredith Palmer Memorial Rabies Awareness <laughs> Run. And yeah, Michael Scott. Eight. Was that after Meredith got hit by the car? It was. Okay. Okay. It was. Yep. Um, yeah. But yeah, he he ate a whole order of fettuccine Alfredo and then immediately did the five k. And of course, he puked everywhere oh and he gosh. he almost didn't finish the 5k he was like yep. limping across the finish line um <laughs> but yeah sorry I, I psyched you up but you that know is uh, not the way to carbo load side I tangent i uh, i've met meredith in real life did you know that i think so i think you were saying that it was at some sort of a convention that you guys went to and didn't you meet oscar also we met uh we met oscar we met meredith we met creed and we met um stanley that's awesome. Yeah. But uh, 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 Meredith was very sweet. Um, Armand was a nervous Nelly, so it was kind of weird. He was very excited, but was super. And there was not even a line at this convention. So, like, Oscar was just, like, meandering around. What? But Armand rushed through it because he was nervous. And then he was like, should I, like, go back up there and talk to them? Because, they like, they no one's there. And I'm like, well, no, you've already left the line. That's weird. It was strange. <laughs> oh, but anyway. Armand. That's all right. Well, maybe one day I'll do the same. I would I would love to meet them. That would be a hoot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so many gems from that show, I tell you. But I'm going to – I was very close to tattling on you and telling yeah, your husband because I, I know he's a fan. I, uh, I'm i a fan, too. I just – I haven't watched it as many times through as Armand has, for sure. Super fan. Yeah. Um, my level of super fandom is wet – so – for years, Mike and I told my mom that she needed to watch The Office because she has worked in an office kind of job for right. years and years. She works from home now because 2020. Um, but prior to that, she had worked in offices all of her career and they nail the personalities so well. In mm-hmm. her jobs, like I I interned in the summer for her her company a couple of times. She doesn't own the company, but like the company she worked for. And we had an Andy yeah, and we full on had a Kevin. We mm-hmm. had an Angela yeah, named Rhonda and she had like white blonde hair and was pale's ghost and tiny, even like the body type even was nailed right. properly. So they just nailed all the different personalities in the office so beautifully that my, Mike and I were like, you have to watch this. And finally we forced her to watch it because we started putting it on the TV when we lived with my parents, when we first moved yeah. to North Carolina and we were in like season seven, eight, nine, somewhere in the back half of the, the show when I was in labor with Jess. So for the first I don't even know, like for the first 12 hours of the labor, when I was trying to stick it out at home and not go to the hospital yet, we were watching The Office on never ending marathon. And I think my mom was like drooling in a corner by the end. She's like, can we watch anything else? We're like, no, (laughs) no, we can't. This This is is just what we're doing. And we burned through like two seasons worth of The Office all in one night. It was fantastic. I mean, besides the excruciating pain from the labor, but otherwise it was fabulous. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, man. Things we want to say about carbs, though, going back to the point at hand. So like I said, it, in my opinion, the treatment 
largely boils down to eat food, not too much, mostly plants, eat three square meals a day, try to eat at the same time every day to the best of your ability. Um, you balance could open, your meals. Yeah, ba- like balance, you know, you should have some of, of each of the three macros and fiber at every single meal. You know, don't don't just have one meal that's all eggs and then another meal that's all pasta. And like, don't right. do weird stuff like that. Um, and yeah, this is really basic grandma told you so kind of stuff. And then if you have, if you have like the leftover calories, so to speak, and you're meeting your nutritional needs reasonably well, um, then by all means have a brownie or a cookie or whatever. Um, you could also open the conversation for examining the role of chemicals. Now get like this one's a big, a big two years ago, we covered the idea of detoxification as our New Year's episode because people oftentimes will say they want to do a detox for a New Year's resolution. So I I propose right now that we cover detoxification again two years later and we do it as like a New Year's Christmas kind of episode so people can plan their resolutions accordingly. Um, but I think just just know that there are a lot of chemicals out there. The goal is not to get down to zero. I don't think that's, I don't think that's possible for any of us, quite frankly. Uh, but if you could try to reduce your exposure wherever possible, that would probably be beneficial, uh, particularly one that is really well associated with insulin resistance, diabetes, PCOS, uh, and obesity is bisphenols. And I say bisphenol, not BPA, because what adds up happening is that companies kind of figured out in the last 10, 15 years, oh, people don't like bisphenol A. Oh my God. Oh my God. So they just swap it out with BPS or another type of bisphenol. So that BPA free water bottle still has bisphenol in it. It's just a different compound that's equally bad for you. It's kind of like similarly with, I'm not going to say the actual word because I wonder if the YouTube algorithm would get mad at me. Um, But the V things that yeah yeah they took out the mercury but what did they replace it with aluminum, aluminum. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> probably not great either to be quite honest it's like six of one half a dozen of another right. so um yeah I, I i think trying to reduce plastic in your life is probably especially good especially like plastic water bottles cups mm. plates don't please, for the love of God, people, it's 2023. Don't microwave in plastic. Just don't do yeah. it. Yeah. Plastic bowls, plastic Tupperware, pla- plastic wrap over the cover. Or you see those all the time. You still see microwave safe pack. Like you get the frozen vegetable or whatever in the store and it'll proudly exclaim on the plastic wrapper. You could microwave in this. Hooray. And they tell you to just like stab a hole in the plastic wrapper and then throw it in the microwave and you're good to go. Please don't do that. Like, I've purchased those before. And funny enough, what I do is I cut it open. I dump the vegetable into a glass or ceramic bowl or dish. And then I cover it with another ceramic or glass plate. Like I use the plate as a lid. And then it's, you know, you don't need the steamer bag. You can make your own steamer bag. It's not that hard, I swear to God. But it it astonishes me how many people still are microwaving in plastic, using plastic a ton in their food world, and drinking from plastic water bottles. I mean, this bad boy, this is metal. Yeah. And thankfully for me, it's borderline indestructible because I'm really hard on water bottles. Uh, this is Contigo. Let's do a commercial. Whoa. Oh, I got this at Walmart. It was not oh. expensive. And look, you got the locking mechanism, so you can throw it in your backpack and it won't leak. You unlock it, and then you pop that button and watch. And it just it opens for you magically. You take your swig, and when you're ready to go about your business, you have this sleek carrying handle all for the mere price of I think 20 bucks hashtag non-sponsored I was actually thinking today we should do a little like mini clip episode and just put out into the universe like a 10 minute 
session of like, these are the companies we would actually accept sponsorships from. Yeah, I know. Because we, we love their should. products. Like I was thinking the chili pad Uler thing, because uh, you're like oh, yeah, a fan that. of that. I would full on do a sponsorship paid ad with Contigo 100%. Right. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's topic for another day. We are straying yet again. Um. I think yeah. one other thing from a movement standpoint that definitely can help with uh, insulin resistance and metabolic uh, function. And so again, assessing where you're at from a movement standpoint. I also think, again, if you're doing too much movement, that could be problematic. You could be increasing inflammation to the point where your body can't overcome that degree of inflammation, um, which can then potentially affect things negatively. Um, so from a metabolic standpoint, I've definitely seen that, uh, before. Um, well, and that's a, a super good point for a couple fold. So remember when we talked about the rowdy party that has too many people and they're like smashing beer bottles. And I mentioned that one of the really important things for that and like processing the fuel, so to speak is mitochondrial health. Well, one of the things that exercise does is it really improves your mitochondrial health. Mm -hmm. So you, depending on the type of exercise you, uh, but especially with cardio, you make new mitochondria. So instead of having 20, you have 40, right? right? So you have more mitochondria and the shape of the mitochondria, like the, the form changes. I forget what it's called, but basically you can have single mitochondria that are like little ovals with the squiggly line, how we all learned it in 10th grade biology mm -hmm. class. Or you can have, I forget if they're called like branching or filamentous. Mm. Basically, it's it's like, it looks unhealthy, but it's great. And it's basically like this monster looking mitochondria mm. that has like many of them glued together and it looks all funky like a tree. Apparently, that's really great when that happens. But exercise also helps change the morphology of the mitochondria to a much healthier, uh, a, a healthier you, so to speak. Yeah, it makes sense in a lot of ways from just an energy metabolism standpoint. If you're moving a decent amount, um, your body's going to want to extract calories as much as possible. It also has a bit of a hormetic effect, meaning it causes a little bit of inflammation, but then adaptations happen because the body was like, oh, this caused a little inflammation. So there's all these adaptations, mitochondrial being one of them, um, where the body is trying to accommodate for that inflammation. And the overall net response is very anti-inflammatory. Um, so all the anti-inflammatory adaptations from exercise are very helpful uh, with insulin, uh, insulin sensitivity. So yeah, I think movement can be a really, a really big one. Potentially putting on muscle in general, uh, could also be very important. Um, muscles, more muscle growth, it definitely helps increase glucose sensitivity. Um, so yeah, a, a, you could do normal movement. I don't think you have to necessarily pick and choose, pick something you enjoy doing. Um, doing a little bit of strength training could have some added benefit if you feel like you're struggling or if you know you're struggling with a little bit of insulin resistance. Well, and this is tangentially related, but there's also this, this thing that we've talked about for a different purpose, which is post meal movement specifically. Yeah. So we have talked about it oftentimes from the standpoint of stimulating digestive juices and stimulating bile flow if you move after you eat. And that is true. But also, there's really good evidence that post meal exercise is phenomenal for preventing those big blood sugar spikes, mm -hmm. those big ups and downs, which again, are way more inflammatory than sustained elevated glucose. Mm -hmm. So if you want to keep those spikes from going bonkers, exercise, particularly after a meal is really great. And it's interesting, because this is a topic that like the exercise science nerds could really geek out on. Right? Mm -hmm. this, this idea of do you exercise, if you exercise in the morning, do you exercise on an empty stomach, and then you eat your breakfast after you get back? Or mm -hmm. do you, you know, do you eat a granola bar real quick? And then 
exercise and then maybe have a full meal. Personally, when I was a rower, I would also uh, I would always eat some sort of a protein bar in the morning on my way to practice. I would go to practice and then I would either in class or after practice, then I would go to the dining hall or whatever and I would eat a really big breakfast, but I did always eat something before going yeah. to practice and I wonder if that was good in a couple of ways. Um yeah. Yeah. Oh, I had a thought and it just it just post, literally post meal bioflow post meal. Oh, and you know what insulin. it was? It yeah. was um another thing that can sometimes help in conjunction with meals is apple cider vinegar. Um I I know that there tends to be a lot of um people taking it for digestive capacity reasons. Uh but there seems to be more evidence. I think it can help digestive capacity sometimes, um, or at least that's what I've heard. I don't use it a ton with clients, but I definitely think there's a lot of evidence to support it helping with postprandial um, spikes in blood sugar. So vinegar, yeah. I think, is a really interesting tool if you do have some blood sugar swings yeah. that you could utilize. Well, it's super cheap. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's not a bad thing to take, even if it does nothing. What's the harm that it's going to do? Honestly, um, the uh, the best place, if you don't believe us or you want to learn more about that, check out the glucose goddess on Instagram. I'm sure she's on TikTok and all the other platforms, too. But check out the glucose goddess because she has some really fun like graphs and reels and stuff about she'll show basically like a before and after like, Oh, here's what would happen if you ate this meal. And here's what would happen if you ate the same exact meal with apple cider vinegar beforehand. And it is a pretty marked difference. And she does share a lot of research. Uh, Another thing you reminded me of, because you reminded me of the glucose goddess. And then this is something that I really started to appreciate because of her. Similarly, she has a lot of kind of before and after, so to speak, uh, graphics where she shows, here's what your blood sugar spike would look like if you ate this meal, but in the following order versus the same exact meal, but in a different order. And the idea is if you lead your meal with protein, fat, and fiber, and then you end with the carbs, you're going to blunt the blood sugar spike and Mm -hmm. prevent that big, huge swing by quite a bit. Versus if you eat the exact same meal, the exact same portions, the exact same time of day, everything, but you eat that meal and you start with the carbs and then you eat all the other stuff, you're going to get a much bigger blood sugar spike. And I will share before people lose their damn mind and go to extreme on this. Nobody expects you to be perfect 100% of the time. I personally, I hereby vow to you, oh, friends of the internet, When I go to the Mexican restaurant and they put a big bowl of fried tortilla chips in front of my face, I do not have the self-control or the the uh, self-martyring potential to refuse those chips. I will stuff my face with chips and salsa while I wait for my sizzle platter to get there. And I'm 100% okay with that. But my point is, on a daily basis, I try to eat the protein, fat, and carbs, and then end with the carbs. I think that you could try to do something most of the time, but then in certain situations, you just, you know, you just eat the bread when it comes to the table, whatever, who cares? So. Right. Exactly. I love that. I love that point. Um, yeah, I, I think the other thing to consider food wise that I've seen with some clients before, um, I have one client in particular, Oh, knock the table a little bit. I have some clients, I have one client in particular that I'm thinking of who just had a really strange reaction to brown rice and rice in general compared to other carbs. It was very strange. Um, And I think that some people do have differing things that they're reacting to. And there are things like the glycemic index, which, which the science is not super great on anymore. It's sort of I don't know if it's necessarily been outright debunked, but there is some evidence showing that the microbiome could play a role in how you might react to different foods. Are we going to have to make this a three-parter? I was just 
thinking that as you talked about this, I was yeah. like, oh, crap, this is a whole nother third layer. We're going to try to keep it brief, people. But yeah, continue, continue. Yeah, there was a really, really interesting study that basically found that the glycemic index wasn't as correlated to responses to blood sugar responses to meals versus it seemed like micro microbiota could play a role in which foods that you have spikes with versus other foods that you don't have spikes with. And that could change over time. I didn't love. So the, the conclusion of the study was like, we can tell you exactly what to eat. And I don't agree with that. Um, because again, either. your microbiome changes all the time. So if you ate more of a certain food, would you then become more tolerant to that food glucose wise? Probably. So I don't agree with the conclusion and where they were going with it necessarily, but it does create some really interesting thoughts around, oh, the microbiome could really play a role in which foods you might have more uh, glucose reactivity to versus other foods. Yes. I think um, to flatter ourselves momentarily, I feel like one of our strengths, both of us share, is that we can look at the nitty gritty science stuff, but we could also zoom out. So I think we are some of the few people out there who could really truly see the forest and the trees. But especially, I think we're especially skilled at getting to the forest level and telling people like, okay, at the end of the day, what do you need to do? Right? Just yeah. simplifying something that's really complex. So those studies, there was two, I think, that they did back to back. I want to say it's like 2016, 2018. But it was the, it was, it was in Israel. And mm -hmm. Basically, uh, they the first one they just observed, and they observed CGM, continuous glucose monitor data from people. They used the Dexcom of note, and they looked at stool samples, and they were able to correlate the stool sample data with the CGM data, and they were seeing like, you know, 10 different people could eat sushi, and get totally different blood sugar responses. 10 different people could eat a turkey sandwich and get totally different blood sugar responses. So it's not the the quantity of the carbs. It's not even like the balance of the meal. And they were able to correlate that with the microbiome. Then in the second part, the, the second study, they did the stool sampling first, and then they tried to predict the people's blood sugar response based on the stool testing. And they said, yay, we did it. We were able to successfully predict this, which is cool. The two things that have spawned from those two studies, I do not like. One of yeah. which there, I don't know if they're still in business or not. I don't know. But there was a stool test that was born from that called day two. And the idea is exactly that you send us your stool sample, and we will tell you exactly what to eat. Not only do I not really support that from like a scientific, theoretical, hypothetical kind of standpoint. I don't know if it's that simple yet. Like we can't, we can't churn out a commercial product based on like two studies. I don't know if that's yeah. really the best way to go about this. It feels a little premature. But I will share, I had my poor husband be a guinea pig for me, and he got one of those tests done. And he was probably one of the first people to get it done. And I was spectacularly unimpressed. Either my husband has the most plain Jane, vanilla, boring ass blood sugar response ever, or it was useless. Because it literally, like, the user, the user interface was good. I will say that. But you could break it down as like a section for dairy, a section for vegetables, a section for fruit. And it was literally like, skim milk is an F. Whole milk, from a blood sugar standpoint, is a B plus. Chocolate milk, chocolate skim milk is also an F. And it's like, obviously, like, obviously, that's going to be worse for his blood sugar than whole milk. And then similarly, um, you know, grains, it was like, whole wheat is better for your blood sugar than white bread. And like popcorn is worse for your blood sugar than... And I was just like, this tells us nothing. Yeah. It tells us nothing. So I, I found that I think it's too premature to do two research studies and then jump yeah. into producing a commercial product and trying to earn money off of this. I, I just mm -hmm. think that we're getting ahead of ourselves. The other thing that I think those two studies largely spawned 
is this revolution of everybody and their brother wants to get a CGM. And Mm. I will just share, as I know we have talked about privately before, uh, I think there's a lot of issues with this, particularly if you have the Freestyle Libre, which breaks my heart because Mm. I actually did get a CGM largely based off of this study and I started playing with it. And a couple of years ago, when I first got it, I thought that it was pretty insightful, useful stuff. But I don't, they have a new version of the sensor now, and a new version of the app, and they suck so badly. I can't mm-hmm. even begin to explain how badly the app and the sensor <sighs> suck. But they, I found it to be horribly inaccurate and was giving me all sorts of weird, false, squirrely data. I have had patients who did really poorly with it in the probably in the last two years, right? And you have as well, right? You've had the same experience. You've had yeah, a lot of people definitely. do poorly. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because I was just I I have a friend um, who's going to be helping me out with some behind the scenes type stuff, and she's a certified diabetes educator. Or in the process of getting that, but primarily she works with diabetes and she was telling me that they don't ever use Freestyle Libre anymore. It's all Dexcom. Um, yeah. So it was well, just interesting talking with her because she was I, like, nope. Can I put on my tinfoil hat? Sure. Sure. I do. I have a tinfoil hat for the record. It's in my closet of like props and goodies back there, but I'm too lazy to go get it. Um, I personally speculate that this is what happened. Um Okay, so again, I think those like Wiesman Institute or whatever it was studies, I think that they were 2016 to 2018, if I remember correctly, uh, or 2016, 2017. Uh, I think I got that stool test on my husband and it was kind of becoming more popularized maybe in 2017 or 18. And I think I got my Freestyle Libre Personally, I think I got it in 2019 because it was somewhere around the time frame where I was starting to play with fasting a little bit for myself. Um, so it was either like late 2018, 2019 that I got that for myself. I got a prescription from my doctor, not anywhere right. else. Yeah. And again, the initial year or two that I used it, I thought it was it worked great. I had no problems with it. I had no weird alarms. I had no weird readings that were suspicious. It just, Mm. it all seemed to make sense and it was useful and usable. Then cut to, I I didn't use it for a while because I was just kind of playing with it for fun. And I was starting to get back into fasting in the last year or so. And uh, because I I noticed that when my stress chemistry was elevated from 2020 and 2021, the times that I tried to fast, it went spectacularly horribly. Mm-hmm. So I just took a break from the fasting idea for about two years because I know my body wasn't handling it well. So cut to maybe 2022, and I thought, oh, I'm going to try this again. So I went to my new PCP and asked for a, a refill of the prescription. And she said, oh, there's a new version of the app and a new version of the sensor. So I'm going to write you a prescription for that. Download the new app. And that's the one that I've started having problems with. Well, maybe not coincidentally, there's a point, people. Maybe not coincidentally, now there's a million gazillion places, like companies that will sell you a Freestyle Libre without a pr- proper prescription. And they mm-hmm. have like a middleman doctor who writes the prescription for you and they make a huge profit off of this. You know, it's like two, three, like $300 a month or something to use their special app and get the freestyle Libre through this like black market Avenue. But I hypothesize that when these companies started cropping up, there Mm -hmm. was more and more demand on the freestyle Libre company and they had to churn out product much more quickly than they ever had. And I think that the quality went to shit. Yeah. And I will bring it home to another conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat firmly on my head still. The reason for this is because we live in America and we can't have nice things and everything is about cutting a damn profit because when freestyle Libre was first coming to the United States, I was chomping at the bit. I was one of the ones watching that. Right. And I kept asking them, I would call them every few months or email them and I would ask them, hey, do you have the over the counter version available yet? Because in most other countries, 
i.e. Europe, like I, I remember Germany and the UK stand out to me now. There's a prescription version of Freestyle Libre. Mm. And there's also an over-the-counter version where you can mm. walk into any Walgreens yeah. or CVS and you can buy it for yourself, just average Joe Schmo off the street. And I kept asking, I kept following up with them for a good year and they kept saying no we're having a hard time with like fda and getting it approved and then it mm-hmm. just never happened so because we live in america and we can't have nice things and everything is about profit 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 heaven forbid we let people just go to the store and buy this on their own without a middleman no we have to have all of these companies that are targeting you with facebook ads and instagram ads and peddling this on you so that you could use their middleman app and get all of this fancy data. And I just, I think that the way we went about it, it's gone to shit. So if you're going to do a CGM, do Dexcom, it's more expensive, but if you really need it, it's going to be worth it because it seems like Freestyle Libre has some stuff to figure out right now, at least here in the United States. (sighs) I concur. I concur. I feel like, I feel feel like like we could I feel like we could keep going, but uh, we we probably do need to wrap it up soon, right? Yeah, I got my my FODMAP Freedom Q&A in a little bit. Um, Let me think of something. Now let's think of something nice to end on. Um, Bring it home again one more time. Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Carbs are not evil. Insulin's not evil. Even sugar's not evil. Um, Three square meals a day. Balanced macros and fiber at every plate. Start your meal with protein, fat, and fiber and end the meal with carbs whenever you can and maybe move after your meals or move in general. Who cares? Just move in general. We don't even care. Um, Those are probably the biggest takeaways from these two episodes that we can give you. Um, Now let's think of some fun stuff to share with them. I will go first. I have something else, a little visual that I can show you. I don't know if my camera is going to focus on it. We will see. I got these at the beach and they're super cute and I love them so much. Hold on. Did I show you these? Yeah, you did. I think you showed them to me when we were off camera last time. Oh, okay. Well, then you have to feign enthusiasm and ooh and ah appropriately, even though you've seen these before. So first of all, he's a little glass stingray. I'm, I'm trying to be like a TikToker. I'm trying to like hold up the black background so you can still see. Oh, wait. This is clearly what a TikToker would do, right? Instagram. A dirty white sheet of paper. So you can see it. Anyway, it's a really cute. Oh, it's a really cute little glass stingray. And he sits on my desk. I feel like the black was better, though. And he's accompanied by his brother, who's a very cute little glass crab. With little yellow pinchers. And he... They look at me while I do my work now, and I love them so much. I haven't named them yet because I'm still getting to know them and their personalities, you know? You got to feel it out. Yeah, I'm I'm still feeling it out. So I don't know their names yet. They will have names eventually, but uh, they are my new little pieces of decor. I had to move another piece of my decor, which is my no face on a swing from Studio Ghibli, Spirited Away. Yeah. Um, I had him swinging happily from the, uh, the tripod for my webcam and then Mixmaster Mike recently told me that he could occasionally hear him clanging on the tripod. So I had to move him. Oh, so maybe could I, could I like tape him right here? Just so he's always (laughs) on camera. Mixmaster Mike would probably be like, he's running into the cord. (laughs) I know. Well, Mixmaster Mike might have to deal. I don't know. I, I need to have him front and center because he's so cute. He is very cute. Um, but anyway, those are my fun things. Do you have anything to reciprocate for the peeps back at home? I feel like we just need to calm down after my rants. That was intense. <laughs> I, well, I'm going to Charleston this weekend. So it'll, we'll definitely have been back by the time you guys hear this episode. But I'm excited to do that. I feel like I have a bigger announcement coming. But I'm just gonna tease with that. Nikki knows. I do. Well, but no. You, by the time this airs, you will be at a point where you probably will have talked about it publicly. Because again, this episode will be like second week of October. But it's up to you if you just want to tease it. I'm teasing it. I'm okay. teasing it. 
Um, just because I know we're going to get comments, do you want to tell them the one thing that it is not? Because you know people will ask. I don't even, like if I'm pregnant? Yes. Oh, no, no. No, there's not a baby. There's not another baby. Just CC for the time being, people. Just CC for the time being, yeah. I'm yeah, not I, preggers I, again. I feel like that's just a thing that if any influencer do i dare call us influencers whoa <laughs> if any female public figure or influencer says that she has big news all of yeah. the comments instantly become are you pregnant are you having a baby <laughs> right which is fine no, that is very a, exciting news but no it's yes it's more of a professional announcement for the record people she teased me <laughs> And I had to play a guessing game to figure it out. So yeah. she tortured me first. So I feel I feel bad for you right now. You were in the position. Well, I, was I was kind in. of saying it sort of flippant, like, "Oh yeah, I'll tell you like in a couple of weeks or something." And you're like, "No, I have to know now." Yeah. So well, I forget my exact response on Marco Polo. Actually, I think I, like I think I said you came like, at me with the eyes like right next to the camera. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do a lot of this. For dramatic yeah. effect. I think that I probably called you like a dirty, rotten something or other, though, right. if I remember correctly. All right. I, I, I remember it being quite perturbed with you, and I insisted yes. that that was not acceptable. Yes, I know. I remember. Yes. All right. So. Well, uh, all right, guys. That is all from Amy and I and No Face and the little unnamed glass cutie pies on my desk. Thank you for coming on this roller coaster of two episodes i hope now at the end of the day at the end of the episodes you are feeling a bit better about carbs and insulin and sugar and glucose and all of these things uh now if you're here and you're wondering but i'm on a low carb diet how do i reintroduce carbs no problem we already have an episode titled bringing back the carbs i think i'm pretty sure that's what it's titled we have an episode only like two-ish months ago called Bringing Back the Carbs or Reintroducing the Carbs. Go check that out now because there is a little bit of specific strategy to reintroducing the carbs. And as always, we will see you next time on the IBS Freedom Podcast. Bye.